0: Have you ever thought of the possibility that there would be cavemen in the future? The prophet Isaiah described this scene in chapter 2 of his prophecy, verses 20 and 21. In that day, men will cast away to the moles and the bats their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs, before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty, when He arises to make the earth tremble. Imagine that. Isaiah talks about people going into caves to escape the judgment of God. That's right where our Bible teacher, Dr. John Whitcomb, will resume our study today on Encounter God's Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, and I want to welcome you to part two of this short series called Judgment, Then Blessing. Dr. Whitcomb has been taking the outline for these lessons from Isaiah chapters 2 through 4, and today he's going to describe Signs of Judgment. This is a message we desperately need to hear, so without delay, here's Dr. Whitcomb.
1: Friends, it's so important to listen to God as He graciously tells us of what the future holds. There won't be happiness, prosperity, peace everywhere all the time. There'll be great tribulation, but that is a necessary predecessor to what? The kingdom. Tribulation first, then the kingdom and blessing afterward. Uh, friends, this is so important to understand So we're not uh, thinking, well, there have been tornadoes here And hurricanes there and things are getting worse This is nothing, nothing compared to what's really coming The whole planet Earth will shake under God's judgment And God has a gracious plan, however, to save people forever Who trust in Him, even in that tribulation period And so, friends, we turn back to Isaiah chapter 2 And discover to our amazement that God predicted For the nation of Israel and for the whole world a tragedy that will strike. Men will do what? Verse 19, Men will go into the caves of the rocks and into the holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and before the splendor of His majesty when He arises to make the earth tremble. In that day, men will cast away to the moles and to the bats, those are cave animals, their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship. And what will they do? Verse 31, in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. And the, me- the message here, the purpose of all this is what? Verse 22. Stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils, for why should he be esteemed? You know, people wonder, what do you mean we're all going to go into the caves? Well, long before Isaiah said those things, Job not long after the dispersion from the Tower of Babel, several thousand years ago, said what? Chapter 30. He said there were cavemen in his day, people that were driven from the community, Job chapter 30, verse 6, to do what? To dwell in the dreadful valleys and holes of the earth and of the rocks. You know what? That is so sad that people who have the image and likeness of God should be treated like that in cruel hard societies all over the world since the dispersion from Babel. Weak people, poor people, pushed out, trodden down, having to do what? Earn a living just eating off of the ground, and uh, food gatherers, so sad, so tragic. And I say, now, Lord, help me to think this through. Cavemen, without being facetious, I want to say this humbly. I myself was a caveman once, it was called the Battle of the Bulge in Belgium in December 44. A third of a million German soldiers drove our army back, Ninth Army back into Belgium, into the mountains in the coldest winter in many years. We lost 19,000 men in that battle, many of them froze to death before the medics could get to them when they were wounded. I remember staggering into a barn to find warmth and there were soldiers stacked up frozen solid from floor to ceiling. And I said, Lord, I'm not staying here. I was a believer then, but I know what it was like to go down into the ground in a fire direction center where I was uh, in a fire direction computer center to find refuge. And you had two choices, folks, in those days, in that battle. Either go down into the ground or you're dead. So easy to be a caveman under those conditions, wasn't it? And you know what? I say this reverently. I say this very carefully, friends. The greatest caveman who ever walked the earth was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Did you know that? Listen to what he said. Luke chapter 9 verse 58. Jesus said, the foxes have holes, they have caves. The birds of the air have nests, they have little places to live. But what? The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Think of it. For three and a half years, he and those apostles and their followers wandered back and forth day after day, sleeping out in the wilderness a very few places, very few homes, houses welcomed him. One in Bethany, you remember, the home of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. But, but friends, can you imagine how Israel treated their King of Kings, their Messiah, haunting him, chasing him, threatening him with death day after day, month after month? And I say, well, Lord... I see what's coming. I see the whole human race heading in this direction, too. And I say, Lord, spare us. Thank you for warning us of what's coming. And so, you know, when you turn to the book of Revelation, you see very clearly that that is what's going to happen. You all are familiar, aren't you, with Revelation chapter 6? Now listen, at the beginning of the great tribulation, it says in Revelation 6:15, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, every slave, and every freeman, that's everybody, will do what? They'll hide themselves in the caves, and among the rocks of the mountains. And they, they will say to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For now what? The great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? You see, that's a distinctive, dear friend, of the great tribulation. It's not just a time of uh, slightly increased catastrophism. And we've seen some catastrophes, haven't we, Uh, in in our lifetime in this world. Tsunamis and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and so forth. But but listen to this. This will be a day of the wrath of God. That's one reason, friends, why the true church will not be there then in that great tribulation. He will not pour his wrath upon his bride, his body, his church. But he will do that upon what? An unrepentant Israel to catch their attention. Unrepentant Gentiles to shock them into a realization that God rules the world. And in his mercy, in his love, he will shake us and tell us, pay attention, listen, come to me, trust me. And I say, Lord, I'm ready to listen. And so, you you know, friends, when you ponder what Isaiah says about this, it's amazing, isn't it, how these things are happening now more and more and someday sooner perhaps than we realize they'll happen in full fulfillment. So when you turn back to Isaiah chapter 3, listen to how this great, great messenger of God continues as he graciously, lovingly pleads with Israel and perhaps with you and me today, do what's necessary to listen to God. Are you ready? Isaiah three one, For behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. You know, Israel today is a nation relatively prosperous. There are some poor people, of course, in Israel. But uh, millions of Jews, Israelites, Israelis, are relatively comfortable. But listen to what's going to happen as God gets their attention during the Great Tribulation. The mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the Captain of Fifty and the Honorable Man, the Counselor and the Experienced, Artisan, the Skillful Enchanter, and I will make mere lads their princes, and capricious children will rule over them. How sad. People that are just completely immature, incapable, will be leading the nation. And the people will be oppressed, each one by another, each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder and the inferior against the Honorable. These are so sad, these words about what's going to happen. When a man lays hold of his brother, now listen to this one, in his father's house saying, you have a cloak. You you have clothes to wear. You should be our ruler. And these ruins will be under your charge. Take over the nation. Please rule us. But he won't say that. He won't believe that. He won't want that. He doesn't want to have any part in ruling over a nation that is on the verge of collapse. A dump heap, more uh, more responsibility than a man would want, and I say, Lord, I'm amazed, as we see even America, gradually going down, down, down to economic disaster, political incompetence. On that day, Isaiah three seven, he will protest, saying, "I will not be your healer, for in my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You should not appoint me ruler of the people. I I, I don't want to rule over this country, no." Exalting man results in a dearth of great men, now ruled by incompetence and wastrels. And so, friends, graciously, lovingly, Isaiah, the prophet of God, 2,700 years ago, pleads with Israel, repent, turn to God, turn away from these idols that you're worshiping. Now, someday, of course, we see the fulfillment of this in what is called the Great Tribulation. Now, listen carefully, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 8 for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel against his glorious presence. Are we doing that, friends, today in America? Think of what this means to God, to rebel against his glorious presence. How much more of the Bible do we have than Isaiah's people had? We have the rest of the Old Testament. We have the whole New Testament. We have 1,900 years of church history, seeing how God has spread the gospel graciously to the ends of the earth. We have benefited in ways we can't even imagine. Imagine what would happen if there was no love of God, no gospel, no Savior, no salvation, no church at all. And I say, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Help us to be aware of what we ought to do and must do. All right, continue. Isaiah 3, verse 9. The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. In other words, they're they're very brazen, unrepentant, refusing to acknowledge the Lord. I could never have believed to to see atheism so prominently supported and pushed around the world in our great universities, in our public schools. Atheism, no God, no plan, no grace, no love, no significance, no purpose in life at all, just chance, products, Time and chance from nothing. How could we ever have arrived at this in many of our schools? Well, God says, someday I'll get your attention. I will get your attention because I love you enough. I don't want you to sink into into abysmal collapse spiritually and morally, ethically. No. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves, Isaiah says. Say to the righteous that it will go well with them. They will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to the wicked! It'll be go badly with him, for what he deserves will be done to him. Oh, my people, Isaiah pleads, their oppressors are children, and women rule over them. In other words, totally incompetent people now ruling. Of course, I, this reminds us, of course, of Jezebel, doesn't it? Who ruled and just about wrecked the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century B.C., back there. And and her daughter, Athaliah, almost wrecked the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. Evil people. And I say, Lord, don't give us what we deserve. Please don't. Please don't do that. And you know, when Israel today enters the Great Tribulation, when the church is gone, they will be so apostate that what will happen? They'll actually sign a covenant with the Antichrist. Yes, Daniel says so. That... The Antichrist will make a firm covenant with many, the majority of Israelis. They'll be so desperate for security, significance, prosperity. They will actually sign a covenant for seven years with with the Antichrist. Jesus said, I have come in my father's name, John 5, and you receive me not. But one is coming in his own name, him you will receive. But God is so gracious, like he was in Isaiah's day, to send a prophet to warn them. So Elijah will come at the same time the Antichrist comes. And gradually, in fact, marvelously, he will preach the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Messiah, and thousands, yes, millions of Israelis will believe and be saved. And it'll take three and a half years, according to uh, the book of Revelation, and according to the book of Romans, chapter 11. All Israel, by the middle of the 70th week, the midst of the great tribulation, will believe in Jesus as their Messiah. So I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. There's hope. There's hope. O oh, my people, Isaiah said, those who guide you, lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. You know, even Ahab was sensitive to God's laws about a private property, the vineyard he wanted from Naboth, to plunder the is in your houses. The plunder of the poor. You, you have robbed people. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor? Isn't that a, a picture, friends, like grain between millstones being pulverized? What are you doing to poor people, helpless people, declares the Lord, God of hosts. You know, God has commanded us over and over again in the Bible, be very loving, generous, gracious toward what? Helpless people, widows, orphans, the poor people who are, who are helpless. Do something show your love, your show your concern, do something, because I am a God of love and mercy. And I say, now, Lord, tell me now where we are, and here's a denouncement, denunciation, uh, a judgment against the daughters of Zion. It is so sad, dear friends, what Isaiah said about the women in Israel, in his day, and how they were helping to bring the apostasy and destruction of the land. God was so merciful, you know, to postpone their final destruction for another nearly 150 years, though. He was warning them, warning them, until they finally were, what? Destroyed and shipped off to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. But well, The women, even the women, contributed to this collapse, apostasy of the land. These are amazing words here. Isaiah was a very observant prophet. Uh, he has, In fact, his wife, remember, was a prophetess. Now listen carefully. Isaiah 3.16 Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are proud, and walk with heads held high, and seductive eyes, and go along with mincing steps, and tinkle the bangles on their feet, therefore the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. Oh my, listen to this. In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festal robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, and veils. You see, friends, what's happening here. One theologian commented that the fashionable women in Israel here were seeking to lure other women's husbands with their imported luxurious dress, but would soon be destitute. What's going to happen to these women? Listen, now it'll come about, Isaiah 3.24, that instead of sweet perfume, there'll be putrefaction. Instead of a belt, a rope, in other words, they will be dragged off to captivity by the, by the Assyrians. Listen, instead of well-set hair, a plucked out scalp, instead of fine clothes, a donning of sackcloth. You see what we're doing, friends, today, parading our self-sufficiency across the stage of the world, trying to attract attention to ourselves. So what's going to happen? There'll be branding instead of beauty, just like cattle led by ropes. Your men will fall by the sword and your mighty ones in battle. And her gates will lament and mourn, and deserted she will sit on the ground. Now, how sad. Seven women, now listen to this, this is the final statement. Seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In other words, friends, they're willing to abandon their hope for a husband to attach themselves to one man who has other wives so they will not be ashamed and escape the reproach of being childless and alone. So many of the men will die in the battle, in the captivity. God gives a very vivid picture, doesn't he, here, of what's going to happen to Israel at the Babylonian captivity. And so, friends, with incomparable eloquence, so we'll never forget his words, Under God, Isaiah, the greatest of the Old Testament writing prophets, says to Jerusalem, his dear capital city of of Judea, you will go into captivity. And, of course, you know what happened. Under Nebuchadnezzar, they went for 70 years to Babylon. And when they came back, they were deeply chastened, greatly humbled. Praise God, they were able to rebuild the temple, but it was very small compared to what Solomon's temple had been. But a small handful, comparatively speaking, of Jews went back to rebuild the temple and to reestablish the theocracy in Israel. And then, of course, they were shipped away again in AD 70. The temple was destroyed by the Romans. Off they scattered to the ends of the earth. And only in recent years, after 2,000 years as it were, they are coming back to their land again. Friends, how often, how repeatedly, God warns us of things that we need to do to be ready to enter into his rest his peace his joy jesus said it repeatedly says it come come dear one unto me take my yoke upon you learn of me i'm meek and lonely of heart you shall find rest on yours do you have rest dear friends do you have peace with god are you secure in his promises and gracious and wonderful provisions may this be the beginning of the best day of your life as you say lord i hear this don't give me what i deserve Give me salvation by your grace and mercy through your Son, Jesus, my Savior.
0: You're listening to a message by Dr. John Whitcomb called Signs of Judgment, the second part of a series entitled Judgment, Then Blessing. I want to remind you that the learning never stops on whitcombministries.org, facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries, and especially sermonaudio.com forward slash whitcomb where you can listen to hundreds of messages from Dr. Whitcomb, including all of our Encounter God's Truth broadcasts. We'd love to have you join us there all throughout the week. Well, Dr. Whitcomb, in this message you've given us a lot of interesting details about the coming tribulation, and I'm sure that some of our listeners are wondering what they should be doing to prepare for this time. What would you say to them?
1: Wayne, that's an urgent question, isn't it? That every human being in the world, not just in America, needs to listen to. What shall we do to prepare for the great tribulation that's coming? You know, if you're not planning to be part of the bride and body of Christ, a true Christian, a born-again Christian, then you would do well to invest in cave property. I suggest a place we've been to years ago called Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, USA. Can you imagine? 1,500 feet deep, covering 46,000 acres. Every night, thousands, thousands of bats pour out of that cavern, foraging the countryside for hundreds of square miles at the crack of dawn they pour back in like a black cloud go down 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 to escape the wrath and judgment of god you say you can't be serious i have to do that no you don't have to what do you have to do believe the lord jesus christ is your savior people by the millions will repent and believe in christ during the tribulation don't wait though because many of those who believe will do what they'll die for their faith because the antichrist you see will dominate the world, especially in the last three and a half years of that tribulation period. Israeli missionaries will spread around the world. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations before the end comes. 144,000 of these missionaries will go around the world pleading with people, repent, believe in Jesus as the Messiah. At last, Israel will fulfill her God-appointed function of being a witness to the Gentile nations of the world. You will believe if you take their message seriously, but you know what you probably also do? Die for your faith. Millions, millions of people will be killed by the Antichrist when they refuse to take his mark on their forehead and right hand. And I say, Lord, I don't want that. I want I want Christ now. I want to belong to the body and bride of Christ today. It's, it's as simple as that, dear friends. What's the gospel? Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, and you will be saved. I say thank you. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful message, that I might believe and be able to tell my loved ones and friends They don't have to go to the great tribulation. They can be a part of the body and bride of Christ today. God is so gracious. He reaches out, doesn't he? All over the world, through the church, the body and bride of Christ, come to a good church where the gospel is preached, the Bible is taught. Tune into a radio program where the Bible is taught faithfully. Read a gospel tract that some loving, caring person may have given to you. Take a portion of the Bible like the Gospel of John Read John 3.16. Start there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life right now and forever. I say thank you, God, for that gracious offer. It cost, cost us nothing. It cost you everything. You had to give your own son to die to become sin for us who knew no sin, to suffer hell for three hours on that cross. To cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And finally, after those three hours, he said, it's finished. The price is paid. Thank you, God. It's covered. My sin is paid for. Help me to believe, to accept, to receive that free gift. I don't have to qualify. I don't have to improve my life. I just receive the gift, and I'm saved now and forever because he said so. He paid the price. He said, here's my gift for you. Do you know him? Believe him today, friends tell all your family and friends about Jesus, the Savior of the world today. Wayne, how wonderful it is to have this hope in the true gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ our Lord. Praise God.
0: It's great to hear the teaching of Dr. John Whitcomb at a time like this. And along those same lines, let me say that next week we'll conclude this short series by looking into the book of 2 Timothy with a message entitled, Prepare for Judgment. We hope you'll be listening. And you may even want to share this series with a friend by taking them to SermonAudio.com slash Whitcomb. Encounter God's Truth is produced by Whitcomb Ministries. If you appreciate this program, we encourage you to show your gratitude to the station on which you're hearing it. I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host. Our mission on this broadcast is simply to declare the Word of God which is true from the beginning to the end. May the Lord bless you as you heed that word today.